0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Society for Armenian Studies Podcast Series. My name is Anna Alexanian and today our guest is Doctor Charlie Lederman, who is currently a lecturer in international history at King's College in London. His research focuses on the United States and its relations with the wilder world, with an emphasis on the intersection between U.S. and international history, and the interconnection between U.S. foreign policy and domestic politics. In addition, his research encompasses the um, political development and foreign relations of Great Britain, the First World War, and its international impact, with particular emphasis on the Middle East and the development of ideas on global governance, human rights, grand tragedy, and world order. Today we are going to discuss his recently published book titled Sharing the Burden, the Armenian Question, Humanitarian Intervention, and Anglo-American Visions of Global Order, which was published by Oxford University Press. Welcome to our podcast, and uh, my first question is, what was the main reason to start this research?
1: Well, and I came to this topic because when I politically really came of age in the in the late 1990s and early 2000s, I was interested in the debates over humanitarian intervention, um, the sort of debates that um, were then live in international politics over debates in... Um, in, over intervention in Kosovo or Rwanda, these questions about the responsibility to protect doctrine, and when I got to Cambridge as a master's student, I um, was asked by my master supervisor Brendan Sims to um, help to organize a conference on the history of humanitarian intervention because even though as I said I've been interested in these debates in the 1990s mm-hmm. it was only really when I got to university and at Cambridge that I realized that these debates had a much longer history. And on working on that conference, it got me thinking about, well, what would I be interested in researching on? And increasingly, my my, my focus, particularly as a historian of, of U.S. foreign relations, um, settled on, on the Armenian question. I'd read Samantha Powers' um, influential book, A Problem from Hell, which starts with the Armenian genocide. And then I'd also read um, Gary J. Bass, who um, brought out a big book on the origins of humanitarian intervention mm-hmm. in in the 19th century, and his book finished with the Armenian mm-hmm. Genocide. And so what I was interested in about was why was this such a hinge point in the history of US foreign relations on questions of humanitarian intervention and global order response to crimes against humanity? And that's really how I got started on it. And it, it, it struck me that um, they'd sort of... Um, really opened up an avenue for research with with the work that they'd done but there was a lot more to be said about it and that it was um i was interested in particular about how this became a window into a a whole new system of international order um from the 1890s to the 1920s about dealing with with humanitarian atrocities and Mm -hmm. questions of global order and international governance
0: uh, that's great. So uh, in your book, uh, which has uh, six chapters, yes. you, uh, yeah, you start uh, with the origins of the solution and then you discuss different solutions, such as the Rooseveltian solution, the missionary solution, the Wilsonian solution the American solution and dissolution of the Armenian question. So I suggest we start from the first chapter titled The Origins of Solutions, where you bring up a significant moment in the American and Armenian history, when in the 1890s during the Hamidian massacres, which drew the attention of both Americans and Europeans, the American public started to know about the Armenian question. And this question became a diplomatic issue.
1: Yeah. So my sense was that the Armenian question was this, um, was as Herbert Hoover, the former president of the U S says at the time, it was, it was an issue that was at the front of the American mind during this period, but it was also a major issue in in the British Empire and across the British Empire as well, that it was this sort of humanitarian core celeb in the aftermath of the Hamidian massacres um, mm-hmm. of the mid-1890s. And so what I try to do in the book is trace the ways in which, the, in the United States in particular, there were attempts to come up with a way of resolving the Armenian question. And in those early um, years, in, in the 1890s, the first sort of flowerings of, of an attempt to um, to intervene overseas start to come about. The Armenian massacres of the eighteen nineties are the mm-hmm. first time that the United States and its Congress um, propose a diplomatic solution to a humanitarian crisis occurring outside of the Western Hemisphere. So it's a it's a fundamental tipping point in American history. Mm-hmm. It influences later debates in the United States over. Uh, intervention in the Spanish-American War over what was going on in Cuba. And from that early stages, um, American statesmen like um, the Secretary of State, Richard Olney, who's a secretary of state to the Democratic President, Grover Cleveland, the British colonial secretary, Joseph Chamberlain, um, missionary figures, Um, whole ranges of of influential figures on both sides of the Atlantic start to talk about the possibility of a joint Anglo-American intervention in the Ottoman Empire to protect the Armenians. So that's what I try and sort of sketch out in that first chapter. Why does this issue become so fundamental to Anglo-American relations and how do they start to think about a solution to this diplomatic question, which the Armenian question emerges out of the Eastern question in European politics, but it's a, it's a fundamental diplomatic issue of the late 19th, early 20th century.
0: Uh, yes, and as you have mentioned in the book, in 1896, Theodore Roosevelt published an essay in which he had referred to the Armenian massacres uh, as the great crime of the century. As we see, there was an appropriate vocab- vocabulary, but no action.
1: No, that's absolutely right. There's, the, the book is um, this constant um, um, battle, really, between rhetoric and action. Yes. And mm-hmm. for Roosevelt, in particular, that is something that's sort of fundamental to him. It the it it play it's a sort of a touchstone for his whole way of looking at the world. The fact that the Ottomans. Commit these um, heinous atrocities against the Armenians in the 1890s, that hundreds of thousands of people are killed and no one does anything to stop it, is something which he constantly returns to throughout his career. And it shapes the way in which he sees the whole of international politics, really. I mean, it's a really fundamental issue for him. And during his presidency, uh, there's a recognition, he, he, he sort of sketches out this sense of, of a potential solution mm-hmm. to the Armenian question that would involve. Um, external intervention. He does issue diplomatic protests. He does send American warships to the eastern Mediterranean to protect missionaries. But there's a recognition that the American public just will not back him on on engaging in an intervention. He ultimately has to recognise that this is just not something that at this point, many Americans recognise that their interests are tied up in this, even though he wants to intervene he can't bring the American public with him, so that's sort of what I try to do in that second chapter is um this sort of major influential figure in the United States and the way in which the the atrocities against the Armenians in the eighteen nineties shape his whole doctrine and set of principles of responding against as you mentioned what he sees as crimes against civilization,
0: yeah. And uh, coming back uh, to the missionaries, uh, American missionaries who came to the region in early 19th century and um, not being popular among Ottoman Muslims, they became very close to Ottoman Christians and particularly Armenians. They opened their schools and hospitals and Armenians were graduating missionary schools, uh, some of them continuing their education in the US. And missionaries were those who would present Armenians to the American public. And uh, from the correspondence of missionaries with the US officials, we can read the details about crimes committed against Armenians in the Ottoman Empire. And as you mentioned in the book, they used their considerable influence at the home to promote the Armenian case. So what was the missionary solution of the Armenian question?
1: Yes, uh, as you say, the missionaries had this long-standing connection with the Ottoman Armenians, they first go to the Ottoman Empire in the early 19th century. They do have this sort of vision of converting um, Ottoman Muslims to Christianity, which they quickly realize is not something which the authorities are already willing to allow to happen. And they then focus their attention on Armenian Christians and what they, their emphasis there, because it might seem quite strange initially, why were missionaries who were looking to sort of spread the gospel as they saw it um, around the world. Why were they working with um, um, Christians? Um, And their sense was that these Gregorian Christians needed to sort of be infused with new world um, Mm -hmm. American Protestantism and sort of given um, that sort of um, uh, introduction of new Mm -hmm. ideas. And this would then act as a beacon to the rest of the people of the region to flock to christianity so this is sort of a major um part of the way in which the missionaries see things and right from that early stage you see there's this sort of contradiction where they um they still have want to ultimately look to sort of spread christianity throughout the region um at the same time as their focus is on their chief wards which are the armenians and they set up schools they um, play a major mm. role um in helping to um as they had done in 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 Bulgaria, in the um, in the late 19th century, playing a role in um, in providing sort of educational opportunities and opportunities for sort of political, uh, um, well, places where sort of political ideas could be tested out, mm. and and ultimately they play a major role in introducing Americans to the Armenian cause and to and to the issues that surrounded uh, their treatment in the Ottoman Empire. And then really from about 1909, when the Young Turk Revolution happens, Mm -hmm. they see this as sort of part of a broader mission that they have to sort of spread constitutional government around the world. And they see themselves and Americans see them as having played a major role in helping to bring this revolution about, not just because of the work they'd done among Armenians, but also the work that they had done among Ottoman Turks as well. Mm-hmm. And their sense was this was a way that, um, that the Young Turk Revolution, they saw as this, um, they had a very optimistic vision of it. I mean, in some sense, it's quite similar um, to the way in which uh, a later generation would look at, say, something like the Arab Spring. They mm-hmm. had this sense to which the Young Turk Revolution was going to be this sort of wonderful innovation in Eastern politics and was going to sort of give equal rights to all of the empire's citizens. And they, they, their hope is that this is going to be brought about. And then through that, they would also be able to sort of spread their ideas of, of Christianity and also be part of this sort of wider um, Anglo-American vision of international order as well. And that's sort of the, what the missionaries um, perceive. And so their solution to the Armenian question, as they conceive of it, is not sort of as, as a um, as a military intervention, but as something where you could transform the Ottoman Empire through the ideas that they had helped to sort of infuse into the Ottoman Empire. That's the way in which they saw it. And obviously, um, this vision um, very, very quickly runs up against the realities in the Near East, what with the, um, the, the Balkan Wars and then the First World War. And then obviously, um, the, um, it, 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 that, that vision completely um, goes up um in, in flames, implodes as a result of um of the Armenian genocide when it breaks out in nineteen fifteen. So they, they come in nineteen oh nine with this very um, optimistic vision, but quite quickly it it um it, it collapses.
0: Uh well the Armenian question came back to the US during the Armenian genocide Uh, missionaries and u.s officials were writing and sending news about the atrocities committed against armenians the press was publishing it and after the genocide there was a huge humanitarian relief operation to help armenian orphans and refugees to survive so that uh, relief uh, operation was tremendous and um This time, American President Woodrow Wilson came up with his own solution of the Armenian question, the Armenian mandate, Uh, but the Senate rejected Wilson's proposal that America accept a mandate for Armenia by a vote of 52 to 23. Um, So my question is why Wilson's solution also failed. Yes, exactly. And as you mentioned,
1: the missionaries have played this major role in helping to bring about this large scale humanitarian relief operation. Most of the leadership of this missionary, of this relief organisation is is with the missionaries. And so on the one hand, you've got this desire to to aid the Armenians through through relief. But on the other hand, the missionaries are not, um, they don't believe that the United States should intervene in the Middle East Mm -hmm. during the war itself. So when the United States enters the war in April 1917, it declares war on Germany. um, And later in that year, it would declare war on Austria-Hungary, but it never declares war on the Ottoman Empire. That's partly because American missionaries lobby Woodrow Wilson against declaring war, partly because of the the, uh, property and the institutions that they built up in the Ottoman Empire, and they didn't want to sort of put those at risk. Mm-hmm. They also claimed that the relief would be prevented from going to Armenians. And so this would be bad um, as a relief operation. But there's all manner of figures who are quite sceptical of that. Theodore Roosevelt in particular, who who describes the Armenian genocide um, as the greatest crime of the war and uh, really attacks Wilson and the missionaries for refusing to declare war on the Ottoman Empire. So this big debate goes on in American society about the best way to respond to this question. It's something which Armenian leaders in the United States, um, those who are representing um, uh, Bogus Nubar, the the, uh, president of the Armenian national Mm -hmm. delegation, um, Mm -hmm. they are also involved in these debates as well, and they're observing and analysing the best way to bring about American aid. Uh, Because Wilson, at the same time as not wanting to intervene in the Middle East, does believe the U.S. should provide a diplomatic solution to the Armenian question after the First World War. Mm -hmm. And that's by taking on, as you mentioned, this League of Nations mandate. So his whole vision of international order is based around American leadership of this new League of Nations. And he believes that an American mandate in the Middle East is sort of a... um, it really is a, um, a realisation of that vision, that it's a tangible commitment that the United States would take on for the post-World War. It would encourage Americans to take on a more active global vision, and it would mean that they um, ended their isolation from affairs outside the Western Hemisphere. And at the same time, the British very much wanted the United States to be brought into the um, into the region as well, and that's partly because of British imperial interests, because of their um, connections, um, well, their, their desire um, to ensure their sort of lines of communication between Egypt and India. And so the Middle East becomes very important to them from a geopolitical perspective, but also because there are um, a humanitarian, there's a humanitarian sentiment in Britain as well. There'd also been relief operations for Armenians among British figures, and they ultimately want to see the Armenians protected, but they don't want to take on that responsibility themselves. Mm -hmm. They're more concentrated on some of the more lucrative mandates like Mesopotamia, um, where where there's there's large oil fields. Um, But alongside this as well is this desire to realise this vision of an Anglo-American leadership in international affairs, and they want the United States to take on a mandate because they believe that this would ensure the establishment of an Anglo-American alliance in international politics, and the two together will basically run the world. Um, so all these things sort of mix in together for why the British advocate this. And Wilson is not really sympathetic to this Anglo-American vision. He, mm-hmm. he wants to see the US as the leader rather than necessarily um, helping to um, put in place what the British describe as an Anglo-American colonial alliance. Mm-hmm. But yeah. what Wilson wants is for the US to sort of take on this because he believes this is sort of a selfless task that the United States can do this job and um, would do something beneficial for the world, it would offer sort of a new way of bringing about what, um, what would be seen as sort of nation building, giving sort of an independent nation state um, and allow allowing the Armenians to, to be secure and have their own government. But as you said, in the United States itself, and particularly in the US Congress, other people don't share Wilson's vision. People like Henry Cabot Lodge, the, um, the Republican senator and others are quite sceptical about this idea of a mandate. And so when Wilson does put this to the U.S. Senate in May of 1920, it's ultimately rejected. And as a result, the United States doesn't take on this role and Armenian independence is short-lived. It's crushed between Bolshevik um expansion and turkish nationalism and so the armenians um, are ultimately um again sort of forced away from this territory a number go to um to become part of the sort of new armenian republic um, in the caucasus Mm -hmm. but um, many are sort of um, scattered outside of um, the near east as well so um this is um I, I, the really, as you mentioned at the beginning, this is sort of the dissolution of this this dream that um, American and British advocates for the Armenians had had for many years. This whole vision of protection for the Armenians and a whole new system of international governance collapses in 1920.
0: Last year, when you published your book, uh, the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate adopted resolutions commemorating the Armenian Genocide Both uh, on the House resolution and in the Senate, the vote was impressive. Uh, At a time of deep division between two parties, honoring the victims of the Armenian genocide seems one of the few things that unite Democrats and Republicans. And this is not the first time in the US history that Armenian question united Democrats and Republicans. And generally speaking, this is not the first time that Armenian question became a topic for national conversation in the US. So my question is why, again, and
1: why last year? Yes, as you say, it, it, there's very much um, an, an element of history repeating itself. That Congress in the 1890s had sort of taken the initiative in calling for this sort of diplomatic solution to the Armenian question and pushing a reluctant U.S. president um, to do more to aid the Armenians In when, when the U.S. first gets involved in this issue in the 1890s. And as you say, in, in the early 21st century, just in the last year, we've seen... Congress taking the lead in trying to push um, the US to um, um, and an American president to, um, to recognize um, the Armenian genocide. And the Congress um, obviously did this first with the House and then later with the Senate. Mm. And partly this is also to do with some of the issues um, that are discussed and the debates that go to the heart of American foreign policy um, in my book, um, these debates about um, an American role in the world and um and a protection of um of of persecuted peoples and in the in in, in today, what we see is it, it's as much a backlash against the way in which Turkey is acting in the Middle East today mm-hmm. yeah. um, as it is also about um, a desire to recognize historical truth and what um, with, with the Turkish conduct Um, in northern Syria, their their treatment of of Kurds and their treatment of of Christians on the border um, between Turkey and Syria, Um, there was seen for many American um, senators to be sort of an echo, um, certainly American representatives, and you saw this in the sort of debates, or at least the way in which um, the case for recognising the genocide was put forward, that there was an echo um, back to this earlier period, that this, um, in terms of this um, treatment, and that the United States had a responsibility to recognise the genocide as a way also to sort of re-infuse its foreign policy with, um, with morality, particularly at a time where um, Donald Trump's administration is looking to withdraw America's presence from that part of the world. So some of those debates that we saw um, around the time of the First World War are very much still live. In American mm-hmm. politics, the sense um, um, one of the one of the um, fascinating elements of the debate between Woodrow Wilson and um, the more irreconcilable um, opponents mm-hmm. of America entering the League of Nations and taking on the Armenian Mandate is that Wilson has this more internationalist vision, and his opponents have this sort of much more of an America first um, um, vision. And it's not mm-hmm. me using that word. Um, a word of today that wasn't used at the time. America First actually originates at this time where um, uh, Warren Harding, who becomes the American, um, the Republican senator who becomes um, Woodrow Wilson's successor in 1920, when he's opposing the Armenian mandate, said, I'm thinking of American safety first. I'm thinking of America First, safety as well as charity begins at home. And so the language of America First is something which he uses during. The debates um, over Armenia, he uses it in the 1920 presidential election, and this idea that ultimately America has a much more narrowly nationalistic approach mm-hmm. to foreign affairs has, um, has has again echoes with debates of today. So there's a lot of, um, of analogies between what's going on today and the debates over over the American mandate for Armenia. In the um, in the aftermath of the First World War, almost you end up with a similar thing today, where um, even though America has these um, these sort of the best intentions to intervene and to uh, mm-hmm. and to aid Christians in the Middle East, ultimately it's quite limited what they end up doing. And the mm-hmm. question is whether a similar thing will happen today. Um, that uh, if if those in the region who, who are looking to America for protection. Um, are hoping that the US will intervene more. Um, they um, are, they're likely to be disappointed.
0: Yeah. Well, once again, congratulations on this wonderful publication, and for our audience who are interested uh, to learn more and read the book, sharing the burden, they can find it in Oxford University Press webpage and Amazon. And uh, once again, thanks for being our guest today.
1: It's been a, it's, it's been a pleasure.